All right, let's pray. Lord, thanks for your goodness, and thanks for your love and your grace and your mercy. And Lord, thank you for your word, truly a lamp into our feet and a light into our path. And so, Lord, we, we rest in your, your goodness, we rest in your word today. So have your way with us, please, in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn, if you would, to Lamentations chapter 3. Wow, Lamentations. So the historical setting, as you know, uh, is the nation of Judah has been destroyed by the Babylonians after an 18-month siege of Jerusalem. They've starved them out, and Jeremiah is sitting on the edge of town reflecting on, on the, uh, the aftermath, the decimation, all the destruction, and the lessons that are uh, contained in that. And uh, so we see a book of, of reflections. These, it's five chapters, five, uh, five poems, if you will, five um, uh, funeral dirges. Um, the first chapter, second chapter, and fourth chapter all have 22 uh, verses. Each verse is the beginning of a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And uh, chapter three is 66 verses. Each letter, each, each group of three verses corresponding to a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. And so, just kind of a curious thing. Chapter 5 is 22 verses as well, but it's more of a prayer, and it it's doesn't go in the order of the Hebrew alphabet. Many people believe that this is, it was written like this because so, God wanted his people, God wanted the Jewish people to memorize this book. And you've got to wonder, think about this for a second. If I said, hey, I mean, every now and then in our home, we'll try to memorize a chapter out of the Bible, right, or something like that. And so if you were all Jewish people, we were living in the Old Testament times, and I said, hey, let's all memorize a book. You might think like, okay, let's memorize Esther, let's memorize Ezra, you know, the, the regret, you know, let's memorize Joshua, one of these victorious books. Would I, would I say, let's memorize Lamentations? Well... Seems like kind of a downer book, and it is in many ways. But there's just—I think there's a, a breadth of lessons for us. And the reality is this: here's one thing about that that I love about going through the entire Scripture. If I were not under this conviction to go through the entire Scripture, do you think I'd ever read Limitations? Never. What, what kind of stuff would I read about? Ephesians. And then after I got through with that, I'd read Ephesians. <laughs> and read Colossians, and then go back to Ephesians, Philippians. Right? I'd read stuff that makes us feel good, is the bottom line. I'd read stuff that makes us feel good. Now, does that prepare us for life? Partly, because part, part of life feels good. But do we have challenges in life? And, and, and as we face challenges in life, don't we need the tools to deal with the challenges of life? And isn't one of the criticisms of the church throughout history such goes like this? You know, it's all just a bunch of, what are they? What are you guys a bunch of? 
Hypocrites. You're a bunch of hypocrites because you really, and when you, when you dissect it down, you really don't deal with my stuff. You really don't deal with my challenges. As a matter of fact, you all kind of fake it like life is all good. As a matter of fact, we, you know, we say, hey, how you doing? Awesome. Right? And so I think that maybe it's healthy for us to go through the challenge of a book like this because life's not always awesome. And sometimes we go through stuff. Sometimes we go through stuff because of our sin. Sometimes we go through stuff just because of our stuff, right? Jeremiah went through the stuff of Jerusalem. And, you know, all we know from his pages, he gets a little attitude once in a while. But by and large, he's a faithful guy, right? Is he reaping the consequences of his own sin? No. How do, why does that, does that seem fair or how does that work? I don't know. But there are lessons there that we need to kind of glean, and so it's okay to absorb these things. Is that fair? Okay. Now, we talked about, and Larry did mention this, it's kind of funny. Larry said, I think we'll reflect on this. Guess what? I guess I'm pretty predictable. Uh, the highlight of this book is the middle, the very middle of chapter 3, verses 20 through 26. I just want to read them again because they're so good. So Jeremiah is going through this, you see him kind of go through this lament, this, this mourning, this mourning, oh, the situation's horrible, the situation's horrible. And then in the middle of chapter 3, not coincidentally that it's in the middle of the book, he says, my soul still remembers and sinks within me. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Now, can you imagine saying that as you're looking over a destroyed Jerusalem, having, been, having its people been starved out for a year and a half? Amazing. He says, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait on him, wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Tell you what, you can put those on your wall. You can put those on your wall. Another way uh, of thinking about this, I, I like Warren Wiersbe said this quote. Now, I'm not usually given to, um, you know, there's sort of preacher poetry. You know what I'm talking about? Preacher poetry. Yeah. Preachers all have poetry. Usually it's alliteration and usually... Uh, I'm not opposed to it. I'm just usually like when I do it, I usually mess it up and it comes off way worse, okay? But this is preacher poetry that I think is awesome. Warren Wiersbe says this. Look at yourself and you'll be depressed. Look at your circumstances and you'll be distressed. Look at the Lord and you'll be blessed. Now, I can tell you in life's experiences as a pastor, I can tell you in life's experiences as a, as a physician, there are lots of people that look at themselves and they're depressed. There are lots of people that look at their circumstances and they're distressed. And there's a lot of people that look to the Lord, regardless of their circumstances, and they just tend to rise above that type of stuff. Now, I'm not suggesting that it's easy, and I know that there are 
very difficult situations represented in this room. I don't, I don't make any light of that. I, I really, I mean, honestly, I hear some of the stuff you guys carry, and, and uh, it, I know it's heavy. And sometimes, honestly, I'll, I'll you know, some of you all have uh, a conversation with or, or uh, a call or whatever like that, and I feel like, man, I wish I had something to say that was like a comfort or a help or a source of strength. But this situation, I just don't know what to say, right? You know that? You know that feeling? I have that feeling all the time, honestly, when I hear of the situations that people go through. So I'm not making any light of it, but I do know this. You look at yourself, you'd be depressed for sure. And you look at your circumstances and you'll just be overwhelmed by it. You'll be distressed. You look at the Lord, you'll be blessed. Does that make sense? Everybody found Lamentations chapter 3? Stick your right index finger in it this time. Turn back to Genesis chapter 3. Because it's important that Scripture is always read in the context of Scripture, right? And if we just read about the destruction of Jerusalem, the nation of Judah, we might think it might be hard for us to keep it in its proper context. And the proper context is the whole Bible. Does that make sense? And sometimes we can look at a situation and draw the wrong conclusions. And I want us to, first of all, sort of set some ground rules before we do that. So Genesis chapter 3, we've talked about this in the past, but it's so important to review this. Now the serpent, chapter 3, verse 1, the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? What is Satan trying to do here? Is he like trying to clarify? Did God say, what did God say? I I missed the memo. What did God say you're not supposed to do? Is he trying to do that? No. What's he trying to do? He's trying to cast doubt on God's word. He's trying to cast doubt. Did God really say that? Really? He's trying to make Eve say, you know, now that you mention it, that was kind of re- unreasonable. That was old-fashioned, Genesis chapter 3. You get it, see, that's a joke, because nothing is old-fashioned in Genesis chapter 3. We're talking about the creation of the world. Okay? Let's just try it again. That was old-fashioned. Wow. Has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Satan is casting doubt on God's word, and that's his primo technique that he uses throughout history to today. That's technique number one, cast doubt on God's word. So the woman said to the serpent, well, we may eat of every tree of the, eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Now, God never said don't touch it. Eve just added that. So then the serpent said to the woman, okay, then the serpent said to the woman, so now you're going to see something else come from Satan. Number two statement out of Satan's mouth, right? Is it going to be like to ask details or help me understand this or like let's work together on this? No, it's going to be another attack. Notice this. He said, you won't surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you'll be like God knowing good and evil. 
Attack number one, Satan loves to cast doubt on God's word. Attack number two, Satan loves to cast doubt on God's character. You see, what God's really doing is he's trying to spoil your fun. He's, you're going to miss out. God doesn't want you to know good and evil, which God didn't want them to know good and evil, but it was for their good, for their protection. But Satan presents it as God wants you to miss out on something. Does that make sense? What is, what is, now you turn back to Lamentations. What does Satan do today? He wants us to question the Word of God, and he wants, us to, he wants to undermine its credibility. And secondly, he wants to undermine the character of God. If you've been in this church for 10 seconds, I hope you understand what I harp on all the time, and that is the goodness of God. That is the goodness of God. Why do I love Ephesians? Because chapters 1, 2, and 3 are the goodness of God. God has blessed us. God has blessed us. God has blessed us. Chapter 4, 5, and 6, walk accordingly. That's the Christian life. That's the Christian life. God has blessed us. God has blessed us. God has blessed us. Walk accordingly. What does Satan want us to draw from Lamentations? Even if we, let's say we do read Lamentations, what does Satan want us to think? You know, God is not fair. God just punishes for fun. God, God's impossible to figure out. And why bother? So we go to a place of defeat, right? That's what Satan wants out of Lamentations. That's what he wanted from the people of Judah, right? And so, so often we, we fall into that trap. Please know this, Satan loves to attack God's word. He loves to attack God's character. And as we read through Lamentations, let's have a high regard for his word and let's have a high regard for a proper understanding of God's character. God is good. God is good. God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. It's the kindness of the Lord that leads us to repentance. I mean, you can just over and over and over and over. And that's why we need to bathe ourselves in the entire Word of God so we can understand the character of God. And when we read verses like these, we'll know how to put them in their proper context because Scripture is always understood in the context of Scripture. Fair enough? So now we can read it. Starting in chapter, thir- chapter 3, verse 34. To crush under one's feet all the prisoners of the earth, to turn aside the justice do a man before the face of the Most High or subvert a man in his cause, the Lord does not approve. And so these verses go along with 31 through 33, where he says, look at verse 33, God does not afflict willingly. So specifically, God doesn't afflict willingly. He doesn't punish us just to crush us, just for the fun of watching us suffer, right? God doesn't do that. God does have a reason for doing what he does, even though we don't understand it at times. And for sure, when we go through difficult times, we go through challenges like this, we don't always understand what God is doing or why, and that's okay. Verse 37, who is he who speaks and, and it comes to pass when the Lord has not commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that woe and well-being proceed? Why should a living man complain, a man for the punishment of his sins? And so notice these verses remind us that there's a sovereign God in heaven, right? He says, who is this who speaks when the Lord has not commanded it, right? <clears throat> God, God oversees everything. And so God allows or God commands and nothing is outside of God's view. 
And both woe and well-being, look at this, verse 38. Is it not from him, from the mouth of the Most High, that both woe and well-being proceed? You know, sometimes God brings woe into our lives. Sometimes God brings well-being into our lives. We can't just take the well-being and not take the woe, right? Because sometimes the woe is a consequence of our sin. Again, not always, but sometimes the woe is how he teaches us. And even, even, let me back up for a second, even if it's not in the context of our sin, we all go through challenging things. Let's, let's say, you know, we all, have ne- we all have difficult experiences, challenges in life that come just because. Now you might say, why is that? Why does that even happen? Well, how would we know how to navigate the difficulties of life if we didn't go through those challenges? Sometimes, if everything's, you know, piece of cake, we just quickly become shallow people, right? Yesterday, I got, I was doing a project uh, with my boys, with my young boys, and uh, long story short, we're trying to clear a fence row with a tractor on a hillside, which is a Bad sentence. Um, anyway, long story short, I'm on a hillside. I'm feeling like, well, I'm glad it has a roll bar, but I just hate to, ref- to rely on that, you know, and that's a bad place to be. It's also another bad sentence. And then, um, did you know that you guys may or may not know this, but sometimes to weight down a tractor so it gets better traction, which didn't work yesterday, uh, they'll put fluid in the tires to make them heavier. Everybody know that? Anybody know how much fluid? Has anybody ever seen the fluid in those tires? Well, I have, because <laughs> I'm smashed up against a tree, right? And next thing you know, the tree kind of pokes the tire away from the bead, and all this fluid pours out. And so I got this tractor stuck on the side of a hill with a flat tire. I'm trying to describe it to Tracy, and this is funny. After about two hours of describing this to Tracy, she says, Oh, you mean the back tire? I said, yeah. She says, oh, you're right. That is a big deal. I'm like, well, at least I didn't, it appears I didn't overreact. That's good, right? But sometimes we, sometimes the Lord just allows us to go through. Why did that happen? Well, because I was stupid, right? But beyond that, beyond that, sometimes things just happen, Right? Sometimes things just happen. And this was, it, this, I got to tell you this. I got to tell you the highlight of my day yesterday. Is he in here? No, he's in there. Titus. Young Titus. Somewhere after about two hours of me and him and Malachi trying to figure this whole thing out. And Titus says, Dad? And you got to understand, if you could talk to Nate uh, over the years, um, how and when and with what to approach dad in these moments should be pretty strategically thought out. So Titus says, Dad, do you think you would regret it if we just paused and kind of left it here 
go home and have dinner and think about it for a couple of days. Maybe pray about it, think about it. Get some outside counsel. <laughs> Would you regret that? I'm like, no, I don't think I would. Let, let's go have dinner. <laughs> and it's still sitting out there right now with a jack underneath it that's doing nothing, right? But anyway, sometimes we, I don't know where that, came, where that went to, but I, it's just on my mind, so I gotta, it's got to vomit out. Sometimes we go through stuff, right? I'm going to be smarter in a couple weeks about how to handle challenging tractor situations. And I told the kids yesterday, I said, we do projects to get projects done, but we also do projects to learn. That's why we do projects, to learn, right? We would be shallow people if God didn't allow us the privilege of going through these things. That's the reality. And so sometimes, you know what, when woe comes, when well-being comes, just Okay, God brings that. Let's just learn what we need to learn and move forward. Verse 40, let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven. We've transgressed and rebelled and you've not pardoned. And so whenever challenge comes, here's the thing. It is important to first and foremost ask the Lord, is there some sin in my life or is there some thing that I just need to learn from this? It may not be flagrant sin. But there may be things I need to learn. Like when I'm looking at this tractor on the side of a hill that hasn't yet rolled over, I need to ask myself, Lord, is there something I need to learn from this? And as I reflect on it that way, right? Yeah, well, so I need to learn how to respond to that, right? I need to, uh, you know, what, there's probably a lot of things I need to learn. And I wouldn't learn them without this, ex this experience. But I think it's important that we echo the words of David, Psalm 139, verse 23 and 24. He said, search me, O God, and know my heart. Because nobody knows our hearts like God does. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties. And see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, would you please clean me up wherever I need to be cleaned up, even in those places that I don't realize need to be cleaned up? That's a powerful concept. That's a powerful concept because we all have a little bit of a blind spot to our own things that need to be cleaned up. That's just a reality. We all have our own blind spots. Verse 43, you've covered yourself with anger and pursued us. You've slain and not pitied. You have covered yourself with a cloud that prayer should not pass through. You've made us an offscouring and refuse in the midst of the peoples. Now, this is where we've got to probably understand the character of God. and got to be sure that we put this in the context of the Scripture. We must keep this straight as a distinction. So when he says, you've covered yourself with a cloud that prayer should not pass through. Wow, that sounds like God is mad at me. Or that sounds like God doesn't even love me, perhaps right? Well, what's the context of Scripture say? Romans chapter 8, verse 38 and 39 says this, for I am persuaded, Paul says, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hang on that verse. Amen. Hang on that verse. Is there anything that can separate us from the love of God? Absolutely nothing in all of creation. 
in all of life, in all of human existence, there's nothing that can separate us from the love of God. There's nothing that can, that can in any way, shape, or form diminish the great love that is even beyond our understanding that God has for us, period. That's an anchor. And we need to hang on that. Sometimes that's, frankly, sometimes I know as we go through the challenges of life, sometimes that's, anchors like that are the only thing we feel like we got to hang on to right? Nothing can separate us from the love of God. However, that doesn't entitle us to like free reign prayer all the time necessarily, right? Are there times when God doesn't hear our prayers? A little bit of a trick question. We need to understand the scripture. Are there times when God doesn't hear our prayers? How about this? Psalm 66 verse 18. If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. Oh. All right. That doesn't take away the love of God. But if I, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear. James 4, verse 3. Yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may what? Spend it on your pleasures. Spend it on your pleasures. 1 Peter 3, verse 7. Husbands, listen to this closely. Husbands, love your wives. Husbands, likewise, dwell with them, with your wives, with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel. And you know, I always say that doesn't mean like weaker, weaker. That means fragile. Has anybody ever noticed that your wife is a little more delicate than you are? Does she break easier than you do? All the wives say, yeah, I do. (laughs) Husbands likewise dwell with them with understanding, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker weaker vessel, and and as being heirs together of the grace of life. She's not less important than you. She's, She's an heir together with you. So what? So that your prayers may not be hindered. You mean I can hinder my prayers? My prayers can be hindered? I can build, I can build a veil that sort of separates my prayers from God? Yes, I can. Yes, I can. Can I build any veil that separates me from the love of God? No, I can't. No, I can't. This is why we need to understand the Scripture. And we need to understand the character of God so we can keep these things straight. Are there things I can do that will inhibit my prayers, that will hinder my prayers? Absolutely. Being insensitive to my wife. Well, how does that play out? Well, that's individual. That's case-by-case basis, right? But I can ignore my wife, right? I love the... um, they used to have these pithy sayings. Talk about preacher poetry. They used to have these pithy sayings uh, out there at uh, the Chandler used car lot across from Walmart on the board. Remember those? My favorite one was, I drove by there one time. It says, my wife says I never listened to her or something like that. Right? That's funny too. <laughs> right? I don't want to hinder my prayers. I want to dwell with my wife with understanding. I don't want to, uh, I, want, I want the Lord to hear my prayers, so I'm, I'm going to try hard not to re- regard iniquity in my heart. 
And I'm not going to I'm not going to want to be the guy that says you ask and do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. I want to be the guy that says your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right? Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So verse 46, he goes into more description. All our enemies have opened their mouths against us. Fear and snare have come upon us. Desolation and destruction. My eyes overflow with rivers of water for the destruction of the daughter of my people. So again, Jeremiah was described as the weeping prophet over verses like this. My eyes flow and do not cease without interruption till the Lord from heaven looks down and sees my eyes bring suffering to my soul because of all the daughters of my city. And so, you know, Jeremiah, uh, very remorseful. I think if I ever write poetry, which I won't, but if I ever write poetry, I'll say something like, my eyes flow like water gushing out of a tractor tire that's <laughs> lost its seal. My enemies without cause hunted me down like a bird. They silenced my life in the pit and threw stones at me. The waters flowed over my head. I said I am cut off. I called on your name, O Lord, from the lowest pit. You've heard my voice. Do not hide your ear from, the sigh, from my sighing, from my cry for help. You drew near on the day I called on you and said, do not fear. Now I want to notice this. Just, this, I believe, is a subtle thing, but I think it's very important. I think it's very important. Sometimes there's injustice in the world. Sometimes the best we can do in these situations is just pray like Jeremiah did. Make sure our prayers aren't hindered, but just pray like Jeremiah did. And so Jeremiah, you know, he says, my enemies, they hunt with, you know, the without cause, hunting me down like a bird. You know, even Jeremiah had, in, I mean, before the Babylonians came, all his countrymen were, were his enemies. He says, I called on your name from the lowest pit. Literally, remember Jeremiah was brought down into a pit by, by the Jewish leaders? Right? And this is very personal to Jeremiah. He says, you've heard my voice. Please don't hide your ear. And then you drew near on that day when I called on you. When I, when I said, Lord, I'm in this pit. My enemies are just all around. My eyes are weeping like river, rivers of water. And you said, I'm going to pull you out of this pit and fix everything. Is that God's answer to, his, to Jeremiah's prayer? No, it's do not fear. You get this? Verse 57, you drew near on the day I called you. You drew near to my heart. And you said, do not fear. You didn't say, I understand your situation. You didn't say, I'm here to help you. You said, do not fear. You catch this? God didn't fix the situation. God didn't even really address the situation. You remember when we went through, it's been a couple of years ago, went through the book of Job, right? Chapter after chapter after chapter after chapter. Job, you know, this is horrible. His friends say, yep, you're right, it is horrible. It's all your fault. No, it's not my fault. It's just horrible. Yeah, it is your fault. It's all your fault. And yep, you're right. It's too bad to be you. It's horrible. And on and on and on and on and on. And then God reveals himself. And God never addresses Job's complaints. God never says, tell you what, I'm going to fix this and fix that and, and comfort you in this way and do that. God just reveals himself. Right? God just reveals himself. And then God, after he reveals himself so 
beautifully. After God reveals himself, he says to Job in a sort of sarcastic way, by the way, Job, what was it that you had to say to me? You know, you said, Job, back there, man, if I ever had, a, if I ever had God's ear, I'd give him a piece of my mind. It was my paraphrase. If I ever had God's ear, I'd give him a piece of mind. If I were in a courtroom defending myself, I sure would let God have it. God then reveals himself, reveals who he's been through all creation, reveals who he is in Job's life, reveals his nature and his character, and he says, so Job, what was it you had to say? And what does Job say? Never mind. Never mind. You get that? That's one of the most foundational lessons. And Jeremiah is here going through the same thing. That's one of the most foundational lessons of life that we would do well to learn. When we look at God, again, it's, it's the same as that Warren Wiersbe thing. When we look to the Lord, our situations don't go away, but our perspective changes. Yeah. And Jeremiah here, looking at the desolate city, reflecting on all the destruction, recalling the challenges that he had even before the Babylonians came, talking about being in that pit and all that and praying to God. And God says, do not fear. Do not fear. That's all God says. But that's what God does. And that's how God carries us through these things. O Lord, you have pleaded the case for my soul. You have redeemed my life. O Lord, you have seen how I am wrong to judge my case. You've seen all their vengeance and their, all their schemes against me. O Lord, hear their... O Lord... I'm sorry, you have heard their reproach, O Lord, all their schemes against me, the lips of my enemies, and their whispering against me all the day. Look at their sitting down and their rising up. I am their taunting song. So again, just more grief, and it's okay to pray about a situation. God may not give us the answer, you know, the, that's the fix that we want, but it's good to pray, and it's good for God to answer in the way he wants to. And then Jeremiah, we see Jeremiah's attitude here go a little south, which all of our attitudes go a little south. And it's good to see even a man like Jeremiah can have an attitude go south, right? He says, repay them, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. Give them a, a veiled heart. Your curse be upon them and your anger pursue and destroy them from under the heavens of the, of the Lord. So he's saying, curse the Babylonians, curse the, the Jews who brought this on. And uh, that's not Jeremiah's place, right? Jeremiah's place is to remember Romans 12, 19, which says, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Have you noticed that God does not need our help or our advice administering justice? Administering justice to those who have wronged us? God doesn't need our help with that. He doesn't need our advice with that. And Jeremiah, on a couple of occasions here, kind of dips into that a little bit. But we'll cut him some slack. He's had a hard life, right? He's had a very hard life. Chapter 4. Again, more just observation and description of the, of the terrible conditions. He says, How the gold has become dim, how changed the fine gold. The stones of the sanctuary are scattered at the head of every street. The precious sons of Zion, valuable as fine gold. So the sons of Zion would have been the, the Jewish people there in Jerusalem. They were once as valuable as fine gold in a sense. How they are regarded as clay pots, the work of the hands of a potter. 
So clay pots are, are good, but they're no comparison with fine gold. And so these people were at one point uh, like gold, now, now they're, they're like clay pots. Sin never makes us more valuable or more appealing to anyone. Even the jackals present their breasts to nurse their young, but the daughter of my people is cruel like ostriches in the wilderness. The tongue of the infant clings to the roof of its mouth for thirst. The young children ask for bread, but no one breaks it for them. Those who ate delicacies are desolate in the streets. Those who were brought up in scarlet embrace ash heaps. And so you see this, like even, the, even animals, even animals take good care of their children, Right? And so, you know, the jackals will, will nurse their young. But, you know, human beings who are looking out for themselves, for their own uh, survival during times like the siege, they don't take care of their children in this case. And so, you know, human selfishness is a very uh, powerful, powerful force. Human sin, human selfishness, very powerful. In some cases, more, more powerful than the instinct of animals. The punishment, verse 6, of the iniquity of the daughter of my people is greater than the punishment of the sin of Sodom, which was overthrown in a moment with no, ban- no hand to help her. And so, you know, Jeremiah is just reflecting on the fact that, you know, when Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed, right? Remember, God rained down fire and brimstone after Lot and his family left, right? And, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, they were destroyed in a, in a moment, in a day, Right? Jerusalem had sort of a slow starvation destruction, a miserable destruction. And so he's saying in this sense, you know, it was, it was more difficult. The suffering was worse than, the, uh, than what went on in Sodom. Her Nazarites were brighter than snow and whiter than milk. Now, Nazarites, this is, most commentators say, this is not a reference to those who undertook the Nazarite vow, but the Nazarites was more of a, in this context, a reference to sort of nobility, sort of the, sort of the upper class nobility of the Jewish people. They were brighter than snow and whiter than milk. They were more ruddy in body than rubies, like sapphire in their appearance. Now their appearance is blacker than soot. They go unrecognized in the streets. Their skin clings to their bones. It has become as dry as wood. So when situations like this happen, like picture Jerusalem after the siege, when the Babylonians came, were the rich people exempt? No. No. The aristocrats, were they exempt? The political leaders, were they exempt? No, not at all. Not at all. Not at all. You know, the consequences of sin have no social barriers, right? consequences of sin have no social barriers. Gravity affects us all, right? Gravity affects us all. And so do the laws of God. They affect us all equally. Those slain by the sword are better off than those who die of hunger. For these pine away, stricken for lack of the fruits of the field. So again, just like Sodom, you know, went down quickly. The person that dies by a sword, he says, is better off than the person who dies of hunger. The hands of the compassionate women have cooked their own children. They became food for them in the destruction of the daughter of my people. The Lord has fulfilled his fury. He has poured out his fierce anger. He kindled a fire in Zion, and it has devoured its foundation. So just horrible conditions, horrible conditions. The kings of the earth and all the inhabitants of the world would not have believed that the adversary and the enemy could enter the gates of Jerusalem. Now, again, keep this in mind. When God established the nation of Israel right? 
It was like, you know, it's referred to as a city on a hill, right? It was a, it was a, a beacon for the rest of the world, right? It had a reputation that gave honor to God. Remember when the, when the Jewish people first came in to Jericho, right? And there's like this harlot that lived in the city with no internet, no CNN, no social media. What'd she tell those spies when they came into town? Everybody knows about you guys. Everybody knows about you guys and what your God did to the Egyptians. Everybody knows about those 10 plagues. Everybody knows what you did to uh, Og and Sihon over on the other side of the river. Giants in the land that should have been, uh, you know, able to conquer anybody. Everybody knows this, right? They had a reputation. The Jewish people were known to be God's people. And wherever, you know, throughout the pages of Old Testament history, the intent of God was that His blessing upon those people would be a testimony to the rest of the world. What's His, what's his intention for us as believers today? We're supposed to be a testimony to the rest of the world, right? People should look at our lives and not say, wow, it seems like, um, you know, Christians always have sunshiny days, Right? People can look at, look at Christians and say, Christians go through stuff, just like non-Christians go through stuff. But people should be able to look at us and say, you know, Christians just go through it differently. There's just something about the Christian life that gives glory to God, not to the person, but to God. There's something about the Christian life that works. There's something about following Jesus that changes our perspective and gives glory to God. These people, the kings of the earth and all the inhabitants of the world, they wouldn't have believed that the adversary and the enemy could enter. They wouldn't have believed that anybody, anybody could just walk into the gates of Jerusalem and plunder it. But sure enough, the Babylonians did. Why? Because of the sins of her prophets, the iniquities of her priests who shed her, in her midst the blood of the just. They wandered blind in the streets. They've defiled themselves with blood so that no one would touch their garments. So the Jewish people, they're just, they're wandering throughout their streets. They cried out to them, go away, unclean, go away, go away, do not touch us. When they fled and wandered, those among the nations said, they shall no longer dwell there, dwell here. So nobody wanted them. These people that were once a pillar, a, a, a testimony to God's goodness, now they're just like, we don't want them around here. We don't even want them in our midst. The face of the Lord scattered them. He no longer regards them. The people do not respect the priests nor show favor to the elders. Still our eyes failed us, watching vainly for our help. In our watching, we watched for a nation that could not save us. So the nation of Judah couldn't save themselves. The nation of Egypt, remember we talked about when we read through Jeremiah. They looked to the nation of Egypt for help against the Babylonians. That didn't work. Nothing's going to work because... God was punishing them for their sin. Verse 18, they tracked our steps so that we could not walk in our streets. Our end was near. Our days were over for our end had come. Our pursuers were swifter than the eagles of the heavens. They pursued us on the mountains and lay in wait for us in the wilderness. The breath of our nostrils, the anointed of the Lord was caught in their pits, of whom we said, under his shadow, we shall live among the nations. So even up until the moment of their destruction, right? Right? Some of these Jewish leaders, they're saying, hey, 
you know, we're, we're living under the shadow of the Almighty, right? We're quoting the Psalms. We're doing our religious thing. Can you do religious lip service and worship idols and expect God to honor that religious lip service? No. Not at all. Not at all. That's what they were doing. They thought, you know, we kind of worship God a little bit. Sing a few hallelujahs. Worship our pagan idols, because that's what all the rest of the people are doing. You know, kind of, you know, why can't we all just get along? Hey, that's okay for you, and this is okay for me, and I'll do a little bit of a sort of a hybrid religion thing, right? Under the shadow of his wings, right? What does that say to us? Is it possible? And please, I'm not suggesting this. But just let me ask the question, is it possible that we could go to church, that we could sing a little hallelujah, and then live completely for ourselves? Is it possible to do that? Way. And if we do that, should we expect God to say, yeah, that's working for you? No. Because if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear my prayers. Right? There's, this is a relationship we have with God. It's not a religion. It's a relationship. It's a love relationship that's motivated and sustained by God's love, to be sure. But somehow, God allows us to have a piece of it. A piece of the responsibility. I don't understand how that all works together, but it's real. Right? He says, do not be deceived. Those are strong words. God is not mocked. Those are strong words. For whatever a man sows, he will reap. Those are strong words. If he sows to the flesh, he'll reap corruption. If he sows to the Spirit, he'll reap everlasting life. Right? Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. If we, if we and I'm not, again, please, I'm just saying, it's possible for a human being to sing hallelujah, yeah, praise the Lord. Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? Do all the whole religious thing that Christians do. Have a Caleb bumper sticker. Right? The whole nine yards. It's possible for us to do that. And be totally, totally disconnected from the Lord, from, from fellowship with the Lord based on our lifestyle. It's possible. And if we ever find ourselves in that place, right, it's a simple repentance is what fixes it and nothing else. Heed the words of John the Baptist. Repent! (laughs) Right? John the Baptist, the one that Jesus said was the greatest prophet, right? You summarize all of his sermons in one word. Repent. Repent. Verse 21, rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. So now Jeremiah, again, he's dipping into that like, hey, the Edomites uh, enjoyed it a little too. The Edomites were uh, the neighboring nation, descendant of Esau. Uh, They enjoyed it a little bit too much when the Babylonians came in and conquered. So Jeremiah wants vengeance on them. 
Rejoice and be glad, O daughter of Edom, you who dwell in the land of Uz. The cup shall also pass over to you, and you shall become drunk and make yourself naked. The punishment of your iniquity is accomplished, O daughter of Zion. He will no longer send you into captivity. He will punish your iniquity, O daughter of Edom. He will uncover your sins. And so a little prophecy against Edom, and um, God does deal with the Edomites, but it's not Jeremiah's uh, place necessarily. Chapter 5, just real briefly, this is a prayer now as he closes, he closes it in first person, um, uh, his prayer to God in, in light of all this. He says, remember, O Lord, what has come upon us. Look and behold our reproach. Our inheritance has been turned over to aliens and our houses to foreigners. We become orphans and waifs. Our mothers are like widows. And so Jeremiah asked God to remember. You know, God doesn't forget, right? The word really more like means... Um, Please turn your attention to us. It's, it's, not like he, it's not like, please remember us, remember us, but please, please turn your, your attention to us. And he appeals to the fact that they're now widows and orphans, knowing that God is very sensitive to widows and orphans, which he is. He says, we pay for the water we drink, and our wood comes at a price. They, they pursue at our heels. We labor and have no rest. We have given our hand to the Egyptians and the Assyrians to be satisfied with bread. Can you imagine people paying for water? Or firewood, right? We pay, for our, we pay for the water we drink. I mean, that would have been unheard of in Jeremiah's day, right? Would have been unheard of. And it's a picture here just of the oppression of people taking advantage of impoverished people. Do people take advantage of impoverished people today? Yeah. yeah. Are all these things relevant for today? Yes, they are. Yes, they are. So that's just, that's just the state they find themselves in. He says, our fathers sinned and are no more, but we bear their iniquities. Servants rule over us. There is none to deliver us from their hand. We get our bread at the risk of our lives because of the sword in the wilderness. Our skin is as hot is hot as an oven because of the fever and fam of famine. They ravished the women of Zion, the maidens in the cities of Judah. Princes were hung up by their hands and elders were not respected. Young men ground at the millstones. Boys staggered under the loads of wood. The elders have ceased gathering at the gate and the young men from their music. And so, you know, so much oppression from others affecting basically all groups of people. The joy of our heart has ceased. Our dance has turned into mourning. The crown has fallen from our head. Woe to us for we have sinned. Notice Jeremiah even here. I've, I mentioned several times. This, this situation, at least from Jeremiah's perspective, is just because. Jeremiah has been a faithful guy, but I notice here he says, we have sinned, right? Daniel chapter 9, verse 5, Daniel's given this beautiful prayer to God in Babylon, actually, when it's about time to go back after the 70 years, and Daniel says, we have sinned. He takes himself into that. We see no, rev there's no evidence in the scripture of anything glaring mistake that Daniel ever made, right? Daniel's one of the, one of the, really two or three people in the entire Bible, uh, you know, outside of Jesus that nothing negative is mentioned about. And so there's not, I mean, it's a pretty small list. Daniel's on that list, but Daniel says, we have sinned. Jeremiah here says, we have sinned. And so, uh, you know, he's including himself in that and uh, probably, you know, reading those verses of Psalm 139, know, search me and know my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me. And perhaps God's revealed something to him 
in that regard. Because of this, our heart is faint. Because of these things, our eyes grow dim. Because of Mount Zion, which is desolate, with foxes walking about on it. You, O Lord, remain forever. Your throne from generation to generation. So this is how he closes. Why do you forget us forever and forsake us for so long a time? Turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be restored. Renew our days as of old, unless you have utterly rejected us and are very angry with us. So this is closing prayer. Tradition says that they would read Lamentations, I believe sometime in August. The Jewish people would read it every year on the anniversary of the time when the Babylonians came in. And tradition says that whenever they read this, they'd get to the end, they'd read verse 21 there, and then they'd read verse 22. But 22 kind of ends on a downer, right? Like, unless you have utterly rejected us and are very angry with us. So tradition says they'd read 21 again. And this is how they'd close. Turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be restored. Renew our days as of old. That's how they wanted to remember this, this book, right? Does God renew those Jewish people? Right? After 70 years of captivity, they come back to the homeland, right? We read about that in Ezra and Nehemiah, right? They come back. God restored them, right? Was that the completion of God's restoration of those people? No. God regathers the people even in modern days, 1948, right? We have a nation of Israel even today. Is that the end of the story? That's not the end of the story. The end of the story comes in the millennial kingdom after the, after the great tribulation. And God's people will be uh, restored. Has God done with the Jewish people? No. Romans 9, 10, and 11. God is not done with the Jewish people. God is not done with the Jewish people. God has a plan for the Jewish people. And it's a picture of his plan for us. The church hasn't replaced the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is, is and always has been a model for how God deals with people. A model for us. And we know that, number one, we go through hard times, right? We go through hard times, sometimes because of our sin and sometimes just because. Sometimes it's so God can grow us and allow us to go through those, the depth of character. Romans chapter 5, we know th- that we rejoice in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces, I don't want to butcher it, we rejoice in our tribulations, Knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Right? Perseverance, character, hope, those things come through tribulation. Right? Sometimes God lets us go through those things. But we know this. This we can recall to our minds and have hope, even in challenges. Even in challenges as significant as the destruction of Jerusalem, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Isn't that amazing? You know, those are great words to a great song. They're great words to reflect upon. But I think in a sense, they're even greater words when we think of the context in which we read those words. The context is horrible, horrible, horrible conditions in the city of Jerusalem like never before. Horrible destruction. Cannibalism. Right? Horrible 
destruction, starvation, the worst of the worst of a situation. And that's the place where God chooses to put this scripture. Great is his faithfulness. Amazing. So, therefore, we have hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks them, to seeks him. It's good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are so good to us. And we thank you that your mercies are new every single morning. We thank you that your faithfulness is so great, greater than we can even comprehend. We thank you for the woe and for the well-being. We thank you for the well-being that we just enjoy your goodness. And we thank you, Lord, for the woe that teaches us what we need to know, that teaches us how to have perseverance and character and hope, and that sometimes teaches us that we need to cry out to you and reflect, is there any wicked way in us that needs to be repented of? And so we thank you that you orchestrate all these things and it's all motivated by your great love for us. Lord, help us to have a high regard for your word and help us to have a clear understanding of your goodness so that we can be equipped to deal with these challenges that life brings us. Lord, have your way with us. Please be glorified in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. We have an awesome, awesome week.